Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome back to Romania. We've just come back from Brussels, where we were all ready for the meaningful podcast to go ahead. <laughs> then we got the necessary 48 letters from listeners who have no confidence in Romania. <laughs> so we'll be turning ourselves over to the mercy of our governing body, the £19.22 Committee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dorian Linsky, although it feels like a thousand years ago now, I'm still on a come down from our Romaniacs live show on Monday with our regulars Ingrid Oliver, Ros Taylor and Ian Dunt, who is here with us today. Hi, Ian. Hello. Did you enjoy the show? Yes, it was, it was, it was very good, wasn't it? Was it? We, we had a lot. Good. Yeah, well, we, had, we had a lot to talk about. We or, did. Or, okay, okay, we talked about this later on, but I really liked it that at least seven different moments people's answer to the question was, I don't know. And I sort of think <laughs> whenever people are saying, I don't know, I think like, I'm with my people now. Mm. I'm with the actual ones that are willing to be honest about things. That was yeah. good fun. And in the audience was Naomi Smith, Chief Operating Officer of Best for Britain and the Boudicca of Romaine, who's been waving her mace about this week. <laughs> co-organising a rally on Sunday at the Excel Centre in London. Hi, Naomi. Hello. Boudicca wasn't very well organised, and I'm incredibly well organised. And did she lose? And she lost, yeah. but I'm well organised. <laughs> I'm going to win. Good point. I'm going to talk to the history department about that. <laughs> There's someone in the corner with like a stack of encyclopedias. Uh, so you're Charles Dance, Jason Isaacs, Eddie Marsan, Caroline Lucas, and the headline act, Michael Hezer Heseltine. Mm. How did you... Uh, he hasn't come on the show. How did you get him? Well... Try keeping them away, frankly. The wind is so in our sails as a campaign now that it really wasn't hard for us to, to get people at all. Um, and he wanted to have slightly longer than everybody else. And we gave it to him and put him on last. And what a speech it was. Absolutely fantastic. And Caroline Lucas is, is, is a real star at the moment, isn't she? After the Channel 4 debate as well. Yeah, yeah, she absolutely is. Um, and fast emerging as the leader of the entire movement and one of the few people I think that is a genuine unity figure. She hasn't got any uh, other MPs to keep happy um, <laughs> unlike the other leaders so relatively free to say whatever the fuck she wants. How many letters will it take to <laughs> Yeah, no, she's fantastic. Cool. Well, weeks ago we thought Christmas was going to be a bit slow. All the main Brexit stuff would be sorted out. <laughs> and we were sitting here twiddling our thumbs. Maybe we could fill up an empty show by inviting not one but two of our most popular guests back. Uh, how wrong we are, some stuff has happened. We're delighted we invited the guests anyway. They're both very shy, so I hope they can get a word in. <laughs> LBC's James O'Brien is the unofficial Edward R. Murrow of Brexit, who speaks every day to angry leavers who think no deal is going to be absolutely fine because the French need our cheddar cheese. 
He's channeled these bracing encounters into his timely new book, How to Be Right. Welcome back to Romaniacs, James. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, how's the book doing? It's done astonishingly well, actually. Well, I'm astonished. So, so Brexit. <laughs> do you think you've increased levels of rightness across the nation? I've had some lovely messages back about parents and, um, and, and exchanges and people who've cut their cloth um, in, in conversation according to some of the suggestions that I very modestly make in my very modestly titled book, How to Be Right. <laughs> Do you think it's, it's basically just people prepping for Christmas Day lunch? Well, Robert Webb, the, the first person, you know what it's like. Because you don't know if it's any good or not when you finished it. And you've done it in a, in a, in a sort of um, mad frenzy. And the first person I sent it to was Robert Webb, hmm. um, who, of course, had done How Not to Be a Boy earlier in the year and is just an all-round genius. And he sent me back by return, because he's writing a novel at the moment, so he was desperate to be distracted by something. So he, <laughs> he read it in a, in, in a single sitting. And he wrote back with a selection of quotes top of which was um, this is what you need if you're going to be putting up with your parents and grandparents talking shit at Christmas <laughs> and that was when I thought and he also said some very nice things and that was when I dared to dream that I might actually have done something decent <laughs> for, for the very first time <laughs> Well this week's been quite quite uh, rough for us, we had a we had a live show, now we're doing a podcast it's only three hours, mm-hmm. it's a long time but it must have been uh, a little worse for you um, what's it like? What's it like running a phone-in show when obviously you've got you've got a lot of interest. Your listeners have got a lot of interest. You would love to be covering the kind of range of human experience, mm. um, but it's just Brexit on fire. It's, it's not every day. I mean, I should add that eighty percent of my callers are David Schneider using a selection of. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get the work nowadays. You've got to take it where you go. Showing off my versatility. <laughs> the with full palette of voices yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. characterizations. I don't do three hours straight every day, but, but there have been a couple lately where it would have felt wrong to do something else. So I have a passion for the story about the, the academics who think spelling doesn't matter. And that as long as I understand what you mean, the rules, because I'm a bit of a grammar fascist, but I, I like the argument that you shouldn't be. So yesterday at 12 o'clock, having done two hours straight, I sat there and I, and I thought, shall we... Um, do an hour on why spelling doesn't matter. And I thought, I don't, just can't hear that. <laughs> so in we went again, back down the mine, back down the mine. Because one of the things that we've been talking about, which is quite alarming, is that the figures in the polls support for no deal um, are complicated by the fact that a lot of people don't really know what no deal is yes. and think it might be just leave everything as it is. Um, does that suggest a kind of a failure of of British journalism to inform people, it, you know, what, what it sort of explains that shortfall on such a basic issue? I, I think the failure of British journalism has actually been epic and, and epochal. I, I genuinely do. I think historians of the future will find the fact that some of these people are still popping up in studios and still being treated with credibility uh, genuinely baffling, utterly, utterly befuddling on the, on the specific question of whether or not we should now have a more sophisticated understanding of exactly what no deal means i i i don't think i'd lay the blame for that at fleet street's feet i think people are a little bit fatigued um detail is is dull and if there is a second referendum then i suspect that that constituency of people will be quickly enlightened about what no deal means well, I hope so. So do I. I um, do have to sort of prick the bubble there slightly. Anthony Wells, who runs YouGov. We've only just met. How dare you describe <laughs> well, I'm more pricking Gloria's bubble on this one. Um, Is that a euphemism? They, they have actually tested this, and that question was in there, and only 4% of people thought that no deal meant Britain would remain an okay. EU member. So oh. it sounds like people now have perhaps oh. caught up. But did the other 96% think that it would be a horror show? 
I don't know. I, I think <laughs> I, I would have phrased a slightly different question. I'd be really interested to know how many people think no deal means that we leave the European Union, but nothing changes. Yeah, that that they they seem to exist. They mm. are among yeah. us. Mm, mm, mm. And also, there's the project fear. I yeah. don't know if I'm allowed to speak because you haven't officially introduced me yet. <laughs> this is so one of I'm the just, guests yeah. that were surprised this yeah, 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 back yeah. into so, studio. Write so, <laughs> in now if you think you know. I have been mentioned already. So, yes, call in, call in. That's very sort of Noel Edmonds swap shop. Uh, call in and let us know um, who I am. Um, well, I they're, be... they're jumping the gun there. It's David Schneider, Thank writer you. and director and comedy legend of the day today. Alan Partridge and the death of Stalin fame continue, please. Mm. Oh, now I feel I can talk properly, but I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. Um, the, it's that thing about Project Fear. Uh, Project Fear. So however genuinely bad something is, because Project Fear works for anything, um, yes. it, you know, if you, God forbid, are diagnosed with cancer, you can, you know, oh, no, it's Project Fear. Yeah. You can dismiss anything with Project Fear. So, like, no deal. They just say Project Fear. I think that's the, a large constituency will say, yeah, so OK, right. you say about this stockpiling mm. and people may actually die, but it's all Project Fear and it all gets wrapped up in that. That's my worry. Yeah, you're absolutely. I mean, look at the Irish border. That was because John Major and Tony Blair did rise, raise that, didn't mm. they, prior to the referendum, but it, it, it didn't really butter any parsnips and it got very quickly written off as Project Fear. It's like a horcrux, isn't it, in mm. Harry Potter? It's the curse that... Talking about horcruxes. Destroys everything. I mean, I know that you're looking at me. I just don't understand what any of those words actually mean. But. Because Harry Potter yeah. isn't a comic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's no <laughs> pictures in that fucking thing. Why would I? Would... <laughs> she, um, Theresa May must have hundreds of horcruxes. I think I've used it correctly. I think I've used it correctly. Don't complain. Horcruxes. Horcruxes. But on, on James's point about people that think that maybe no deal means that, that we fall out, but there is no fallout... Yes. Um, that there there has been sort of you know received wisdom that there are these things called you know defaulting to WTO rules and mm, that's something we've mm. discussed on the podcast before and I don't want to get Ian set off far too early on <laughs> on free trade agreements and deals and uh, the legislation around them but but that there isn't a framework that's ready made and off the shelf for us to just default onto we would then be in this enormously long negotiation period with hundreds of other countries as opposed to just twenty seven at the end of which we would not have legislated for things like. Um, the aviation area or the transport of medicines or a replacement for your ratum or, or any of the or just in time supply chains even but more importantly the first three WTO has nothing to do with that but Pascal Lamy being interviewed by Matt Fry on Channel 4 News mm. and he just said and he used to run the WTO so obviously he doesn't know as much about it as Nadine Dorries but he's quite reliable <laughs> and he actually said it is going from the first division in terms of trade regimes to the fourth division yep. and that's the bloke that ran the WTO but as David says there'll be someone sitting on the sidelines just shouting Project Fear mm. Well David you co-wrote the screenplay for The Death of Stalin, it's about the political chaos that follows a, a sudden shift in political power. It all seems a bit mellow now I mean, <laughs> I mean obviously May is not not to be confused with a steely tyrant who strikes fear into the hearts of, of all who serve but I mean are, are, there any, uh, are there any kind of like do you think sort of universalities when it comes to political ambition and fighting over succession. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Stalinism, people died in their millions. So, I I mean, I'm not going to go Project Fear and say that's going to happen. <laughs> but um, but what I think the, the film, we were, I'm not sure we tried to do, but what it does, it talks about how incompetence 
Because what, yeah, this is a terrible, dangerous thing. And what happened when Stalin died was that someone, Malenkov, who's totally incompetent, took over, um, which allowed real nasty charlatans in, in the film, it's Beria, to manipulate. And it's, that's, that's what you sort of have going on here. It's, it's the danger of incompetence and also the absence of facts and yeah. fake news mm. and the manipulation, which we have to a certain extent in the, in the film, the manipulation of what's, what's truth. Um, and that's what we see, see um, now, you know, yeah. obviously. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's been great marketing for us, all the Trump thing and the Brexit thing and Putin banning it and everything. It's been great marketing. But I would rather the film had been slightly less successful and us not Brexit. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's just, let me, let me well, think it's hard for us because we like doing the podcast. A busy week is a good it's podcast. Nice. Yeah. But on the other yeah. hand, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's maybe been, rather I not. mean, I was just saying earlier to James, you know, Brexit's been great for our careers. Uh-huh. You know, so let's, you know... <laughs> Silence from everyone. <laughs> I, I don't mean that. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> You're wavering there in the second referendum. It's just like, oh, my career. Yeah, so will it, will yeah. it help my career? Or not? Yeah, well, I lose Twitter followers. Yeah. This is the bit where under normal circumstances, we'd run through the news stories we're going to talk about, but you already know what they are. So we'll get to them and David and James's best and worst Brexity moments of the year after a few quick reminders from Naomi. It's pretty much your last chance to order high-quality gifts from the Romaniacs Christmas Market. Last orders are due on Monday, December 17th, but you should probably sort out your deal in good time to prevent last-minute panics. Ahem. You can parade your Romain sympathies with our All I Want for Christmas is EU mugs and T-shirts, be a rock-and-roll Romaniac with our European Sun, European Female and Europe is Our Playground T-shirts, or just wind up your Brexity relatives by buying them an I Heart Brussels mug, complete with sprouts on the front. Go to our Facebook page, search Romaniac's Christmas Market, or if you've got a pen, it's rmncmerch.myshopify.com. And don't forget that the best Christmas gift for yourself is definitely to back us on Patreon. Get every episode of the show a day early, a regular column from our panellists, mugs and T-shirts and discounted tickets for our live shows. It's just what Father Bruxmas ordered. Go to our Facebook page and search Patreon Romaniacs to find out more. Thanks, Naomi. Now follow us like Dante as we descend into the nine circles of boiling hell, otherwise known as conservative parliamentary politics. <laughs> At the start of the week, Theresa May cancelled her meaningful vote. We're told she's going to bring it back to the Commons before January the 21st, which could leave only nine weeks before we crash out with no deal. According to the Labour MP Stephen Doughty, the changes that May would seek from the EU were drafted weeks ago, so the whole thing could just have been theatre. But who cares? Because now we've got a leadership challenge, which is exactly the festive treat the nation asked Santa for. <laughs> The vote is happening at the same time as the CCHQ Christmas party. <laughs> so that would be fun. <laughs> Booze and rancor, the perfect combination. Ian, a lot of people will be listening to this show after the vote has happened. Um, but I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. Um, <laughs> what's your instinct? Will, will she... Do you, you think that she will survive the vote and have the ERG fucked it? Okay, well, I'm going to demonstrate the point that I made earlier, and I don't know. And I don't really believe anyone that talks very confidently about the way that the Tory parliamentary party behaves. Okay, so, I mean, obviously, if you look at Twitter right now, you see lots and lots of people coming out expressing support for her. In terms of the people who have stated how they're going to vote, it would look like she was going to win it by a landslide. There's only a, 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 a single digit, I think it's about 40 people have said otherwise. However, 
<laughs> this is going to break your hearts, I know, but Tory MPs lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I know, no. I know, I know, I'm sorry. It's Shame. Christmas. Also, Shame. Father Shame. Christmas does not exist. Um, Where's the so- mace? I'm going to take it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, I, it's a secret ballot. I don't know which way they're going to go. If I had to put money on it, I would probably say that she'll she'll make it just. However, making it just, you know, might be technically enough by mm. party rules. It's not necessarily enough if you think, do I have authority? You know, does is my party really behind me? Now, if she makes it, nothing has, you know, to coin a phrase, nothing has changed. So she goes off to Brussels to renegotiate something that no one is willing to renegotiate. She then needs to come back and try and sell the deal again. Except that this time she'd have had all of her authority taken away, but cannot be challenged again for another 12 months according to the party rules. So she suddenly turns into this, it's like a lame duck encased in steel. That is what she will be. It's basically her like, weakness is her strength. Yeah, well, she, well, no, she can't be shifted, but she also has no power. And you really end up in, in a quite astonishing position if, if that's the way it goes. Uh, and what would Romaniacs wish for, Naomi? Because on the one hand, you think, well, you know, the, the risk of her being replaced, obviously then a long contest, possibly replaced by a, a hard breakster. Um, but on the other hand, she was sort of going, well, if you try and, you know, if you, if you oust me, then there may be no Brexit at all. Which obviously made my ears prick up. If she so before we came on the show, Laura Koonsberg was uh, tweeting that um, May was probably going to say to people, "Look, I am not going to fight the yeah. next general election, but I am going to see through Article 50. Mm-hmm. So that she may well be able to buy some people off with, um, and she'll limp on till till April at least. I think she probably will cling on, as Ian has said, and he said if he had to put his money where his mouth is. Well, people are putting their money where their mouth is. The only data we've got is what the political betting markets are doing right now. And as of this morning, the money was lumping on behind her. So, you know, those those who think they know about this stuff are putting their money there. However, I don't think she... So I think she could win this, and I think she could then... Uh, face a situation where she brings the meaningful vote to Parliament and doesn't get it through again. And what she does then is where it gets very interesting. Um, And she may well then call a people's vote on her own terms, which could be shades of Brexit. It may not have a Remain option on the table. So in terms of what Romaniacs should, should hope for, it's that we do get a people's vote, a final say, and that we have to make sure that we've got the option to remain on that ballot paper. I... I, I think broadly we we do want to keep her. I think it's it, it gets very difficult for us if there is a, a long drawn out leadership challenge beauty contest within the Conservative Party and it's very you know, generous an ultra, use of beauty there. <laughs> showbiz for ugly people, um, uh, and and we get a, you know a real Brexit. I mean, I, I, after May, whether she goes now or, or next time, the next leader of the Conservative Party is highly likely to be an extreme Brexiter. Mm. Um, well, well, sorry, what's, what's good for um, the people's vote is that here you have the Tory party calling, they voted in 2016, now they know, on May, becoming Prime Minister, uh, now they know it's a shit show and the promises that she made were lies, so now they want a second vote. So yeah, really yeah, this yeah. is like, you yeah. can go back to them and say, look, you had a second vote about Theresa May, so why, why can't, can't have a people's we have vote? A, yeah, absolutely. Pedants will point out there wasn't a vote when she got Yeah, she was a coronation. Yes. It was a coronation, but that doesn't matter because they've changed their mind they, mm, they cho- yeah. she was chosen to be leader rather than mm. there was a vote, than a, there was a, 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 a coronation but but but, but what, just back to this point that what is very good for remainers is the fact that 
Europe has delivered a deal for us. So that yeah. takes away the Brexiteers' argument that, oh, this is an awful bureaucratic nightmare of an institution that is totally inflexible. They'll never cut us a deal. They'll, they'll offer us um, a, you know, a, a, an off-the-shelf product that already yeah. exists or nothing at all. Well, all of those arguments are now blown out of the water. It is not Europe that has been inflexible. It is not Europe that hasn't been able to offer us, oh, if you need a bit of an extension, that's probably okay. If you want to revoke, that's totally fine by us. Here's a nice deal. It is quite bespoke. They have done everything. And it is absolutely the UK fucking all of this up. And it is not just the UK. It is Parliament. And it is not just Parliament. It is the government. And it is not just the government. It is the internecine warfare within the Conservative Party. They are now officially the party of Brexit. On on the long list, you're absolutely right. But I keep having these moments of of realising things that I cannot believe are not being shouted from the rooftops. Because everything you said is accurate. And to add to it, Barnier, of course, had to get the agreement of 27 governments to that deal. 27 individual governments on one side Theresa May had to get the agreement of her own government and failed it's quite incredible yeah. when you think about and, it in those terms. And before we came on the show she had Liam Fox who is a yeah. cabinet minister saying that the cabinet would not approve any renegotiation that gave way on the, that didn't include this this uh, uh, change on the backstop Excellent. that they're seeking. So she can't even get her cabinet to agree. Let alone in is there something kind now. of quite Sort of, it's like morally offensive about mm. the Tories deciding at this point with the clock running down to have a leadership challenge and to reenact this endless, poisonous, the latest phase of this endless, poisonous war. Two, two and a half years of self-inflicted chaos caused by conservative infighting, and then they decided yesterday that it's time for some more conservative infighting. It is quite, a, it is absolutely <laughs> incredible, but. Um, I, I, I approve of you using words like amoral. I think that the ERG, or certainly its leading lights, are close to sociopaths now in their utter disregard for not just reality but also human beings and the way that they continue to... to I mean, Dominic Raab not knowing that Dover-Calais was an important route for British trade with the rest of the world and, and you're still seeing himself as a potential leadership cam- campaigner. Esther McVeigh talking about the transition period we'd go into in the event of no deal. There will be no transition period if there is no. This is really kindergarten stuff that these leading lights of the ERG keep repeating. And, and that, that, that is now beyond the intellectual, beyond the psychological and into the moral sphere for me. But, and it's because it is a religious cult. Exactly that. It's completely faith-based. It has no, it's, you know, I'm not a religious person myself. Uh, I, I can't understand how you can believe, you know, believe in Brexit is the same for me as believing in a yes. bearded man in the sky. But if I, if I believed in a bearded man in the sky, nothing would stop me believing in him. Yes. And that's what's going on. That's why we're marching over this cliff. Unbelievable. <laughs> We've got a couple of scenarios, I think, if she loses, right? So the first one is um, that we get a sort of more moderate looking figure. And the other one is that we get someone quite extreme. I think it's quite unlikely that we get a more moderate figure, but it's not completely impossible. Mm. So you could have like an Amber Rudd, Sajid Javid, Michael Gove, moderate, you know, I'm using obviously in context. <laughs> is that how far we've Everything's come? relative these it, days. But it is. Yeah, that is how far we've come. Yes, they yeah. definitely are the, the moderate options right now. And, and then you sort of think, I don't think it's like, if it goes out to the membership, it definitely won't fucking happen. It will be the most Brexity option, you know, available. If it doesn't go out to the, to the membership, and they will want to stop that if they can, because it saves a lot of time, but they didn't do it last time. No. So they'll be under a lot of pressure. There's a lot of gnashing of teeth from, from the last time. People didn't feel they got a, a call on it. If they can stop it, you go for a more moderate figure. I don't really see they have a lot of choices. They can't say, I'm going to do May's deal again, because this functions essentially Mm -hmm. as a Tory referendum on the deal. It's suicide to say it. And yet, 
you can't get rid of the backstop because if you get rid of the backstop, all of the withdrawal agreement falls out. Mm. All the transition, all of EU citizens' rights, all of the budget, blah, 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 blah. So they kind of have to keep that bit. And the only bit they'll be able to tinker with is the future relationship. And it seems to me, and I know this is a big corner and it's, it's optimistic and therefore surely wrong, but they wouldn't have many options but to go, well, look, Labour, what will it take to get you to back this thing? Would you be prepared to come with us, for instance, to Europe to sit there and draw up a, foreign, a, a future relationship document to our joint specification, which would essentially be, you know, customs union membership and something very tight on the single market. And then a, a section of the future relationship bit that said this means that the backstop will never come into force as long as these things are followed. And in that scenario, that might be something that happens. It's very, very unlikely. The much more likely one is you get a really harsh Brexiter. And if they're not going to accept the backstop, they can't accept the backstop. That means they're on no deal. Mm. And that means they're in the world of managed no deal, as they call it, which is really deal no deal. What, yeah, what is managed no deal? It's basically separating out everything that's not trade and saying we're going to try and do what we can on that. So we'll do what we can on aviation. This kind of stuff James was yeah. mentioning earlier. We'll do what we can on aviation. Do what we can on nuclear materials. Do what we can on citizens' rights. And then we'll, we'll, the trade is separate. Now, that doesn't just fuck. Well, I mean, it works and it's better than having no deal, no deal. Not least of all, because our European friends have some kind of certain legal status. It's much, much better than no deal, no deal. Sure. However, the studies, when you look at Imperial University's study of sort of traffic modeling, they estimate that if you have a two minute increase in mm. checks at Dover, Calais, you get a 20 mile tailback within the first 24 hours. OK, <laughs> so you look at that over the course of a week and we're talking about much more than a two minute increase in the case of no deal. And you have a country that's gridlocked almost immediately. And that is for food, for medicine, for whatever you can imagine. All of these things are real. Yeah. These are real things that are, that are, <clears throat> but, that are happening. But what I don't understand, therefore, is if, if, a, if a Brexiter PM decided to let that happen is it i mean even given that, that they're sociopaths it's like surely that's not going to i mean that's going to wreck the party if this is this is the kind of thing it's going to make you know believe sort of witter, of, witter of discontent unless it's all the seems, eu's fault and also you know, believe oh. it's been it's all you know that the, the, in the faith according to the faith uh, you've got to believe in Britain, and the only thing is that it's the big Satan. It's EU who is, you know, Mephistopheles. Um, I'm just seeing if there are you and Mephistopheles. There isn't you, but um, so otherwise it would have been quite nice. Goody um, Subri has been seen supping with goodness. Satan. Yes, yeah. So it's like that, I, that's the thing I found over the two and a half years is this the amazement of. Yeah, you're blaming that on someone else? Yeah. And that they, there's no limit to what that... So the tailbacks will be the EU's fault. Um, Somehow. Mm. And here's another thing as well. I think it would be, in the event of it going to um, the membership of the Conservative Party, this would leave us with the first directly elected Prime Minister in British history. No, that's interesting. Because you have 100,000 largely elderly, comfortably off, mm. almost predominantly white people in the southeast of England who have paid money to be members of the Conservative Party, and by dint of making that payment, they get to choose the next Prime Minister. If that's taking back control, yeah. I'm a banana. It's like 100,000 mm. white people's votes. Yeah, oh, old, old like, wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Old, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with vote. being old, white, or wealthy yeah. for, for people who like to make a living pretending not to understand things. <laughs> but but there, is some, there is something wrong with electing a Prime Minister being in the gift of people who have paid for the privilege mm -hmm. and a tiny, tiny proportion of a population of 60 million people. There's also a slight wrinkle, actually, in terms of how that might go, which I'm, I just sort of learned about this morning, which is that um, whoever it is that's there needs to be, able to be able to go to the Queen and say that they command a majority in the House. Mm. Now, if it's a, a sort of soft Brexiter type figure, like Amber Rudd or something, the DUP, I don't think, will give their support. And I don't see that they will therefore have a majority... Gosh. If it's 
um, a Jacob Rees-Mogg or a Boris Johnson, plenty of moderate Tory MPs have said that they won't take the whip and they'll leave the party. And that means that even with DUP support, I'm not sure that they would have a majority. So there isn't... I mean, I'm, uh, probably they might be able to find a way of doing it, but it's not an instant translation of Tory leader yeah. to prime minister. And we, we know that um, senior civil servants in the cabinet office and in the palace have been preparing for us to have no government this week. Um, and that those, those because they thought the meaningful vote would be defeated um, and, and that, that, you know, we'd be face this kind of situation anyway so those those preparations are being made you're right Ian you Jesus. know that that is not a, a scenario <sighs> that hasn't been uh, planned for amongst the civil servants anyone know Did any good do? jokes <laughs> <laughs> this, this is grim well it, it isn't it isn't it Jeremy Corbyn Vince Cable and Nicola Sturgeon walk into a bar I mean is, is that the sort of national they unity government exactly <laughs> No, I saw the, I saw the, the kind of Chiron Brexit chaos on a French news channel on Twitter, and I was like, but that, it's, a, it's a tautology. Mm. Mm. That, that is what Brexit means now. Yeah. Well, they've got a vote of no confidence tomorrow. Yes. Today being Wednesday. Yeah. So France, Britain. It's contagious. All he did was sit behind a gold desk. They lose their shit really easily. We've had two and a half years of this. I love Yeah. I didn't think through the optics of that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, that wasn't a great look to be fair. But I see that some people are getting are getting excited again um, based on the Gilets Jaunes protests, mm-hmm. including The Sun in a very grim editorial, bringing back this kind of civil unrest spectre, which I f- think is like, I don't want to say talk about what the, what the likelihood of that is, but just like this as a strategy, and Barry Gardner's brought it up and Jeremy Hunt, and it just seems like people that should know better yes. are just going like are threatening with riots, including yeah. publications who mm. I seem to remember in 2011 and in the early 80s weren't keen on rioters' demands, yeah. didn't think that they had a point. Good spot. No, exactly. I mean, I, I, for exactly those reasons, I think it's a completely false argument. Um, firstly, because there could be civil unrest with Brexit, uh, not least in places like Northern Ireland, of course, but also among young people whose futures have been completely robbed. Um, and, of course, those left behind uh, from for whom Brexit will almost certainly not be um, a remedy. And secondly, because it's the politics of bloody appeasement. If we allow the threat of violence to inhibit our democracy, then those sorts of people win. The terrorists win. Um, and, you know, if we have to avoid some kind of final say on Brexit purely because we're scared of violence, we are corrupting our democracy. And that, as, as, yeah, yeah. as James has said, we are not going to be taking back control, but we're surrendering it to thugs. Mm. But on that point, you know, and I'm somebody that's working at the coalface of all of this with the MPs. And, and they are genuinely scared of what another referendum is going to look like. Um, when you talk about MPs that are Labour MPs in leave seats in the north of England, many of them were very, very good friends of Joe Cox. And they remember that she has been politically assassinated, mm. not too far from where they live. And these are people that have fascists turning up at their constituency surgeries week in, week out. And that's why at Best for Britain, we have partnered with the anti-fascism group Hope Not Hate, because they are very, very good at uh, infiltrating these groups. And they have prevented the murder of another MP already this year. So what we have to do as campaigners and as Romaniacs and everybody listening is to start to talk about how a second vote could be could be fought, exactly what that referendum needs to look like. Um, and I think we need to start thinking about all these things about around citizens' juries, around a much more deliberative approach to democracy to give them the assurance that there is a way it can be done in a much safer environment because these people are genuinely scared. So as much as I absolutely cannot stand the arguments about, oh, oh well, you know, there'll be riots on the streets... I do have to address the very real concern that these politicians have about what a second referendum will look like in terms of how it's conducted. Mm. And 
James, you get people calling in from, you ask listeners from outside the UK to, to call in and yes. describe how we appear to the rest of the world, um, which piece summed up by the subhead on a New York Times piece I saw, which was just Pray For Us, yeah. written by a British writer, <laughs> Tanya Gold. Uh, but the, but the, sub, the New York Times subs obviously just thought, yeah, all right, we'll go, we'll go with that. Hmm. Um, I mean, is, is it just sort of, is it horror, pity, schadenfreude? Uh, There's very little schadenfreude at the moment with the people that have called me. I did two hours and 45 minutes yesterday, Just and, and my switchboard was from Slovenia to Chicago to wow. Dublin to Belfast to Paris to Nice, all listening to our, our sort of collective clusterfuck that's happening here in Blighty. And there was next to no schadenfreude. I had a Slovenian cartoonist called Cyril who I suspect was being very modest. I think he might be Slovenia's leading cartoonist. And he, he, he again, was just describing a curious mixture of, of befuddlement and, and pity mm. and sadness. Uh, I, I guess if you've got the football-style hatred of the English, you might be able to muster up some schadenfreude, but I, I haven't heard from any of them. And I think that call that you had where the guy broke down in tears... That was Bill. Um, ...was a real... For me, it was a turning point. I mean, you asked, uh, I've been asked by Andrew, producer, what's mm. the best and worst? Yeah, and this doesn't fit either best or worst of the year, but it was a significant... Well, I, I was going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> best or worst? Yeah. But it's, it was significant in as much as it, you, just, you just thought, it's the people who've lied yes, to these people. Yes, That's yes. who we've got to go to. And um, we must reach out, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure, Naomi, you're thinking about this all the time. We've got to reach out and... People like myself, who mm. tend to just get angry, have got to be open and more, more in listening mode to the people who voted um, for Brexit. I mean, I, I was my new thing is tough on Brexit, tough on the causes of Brexit, yeah, like um, which obviously <laughs> the Corbynites love. Um, but um, but I just think you have to do both, and that call was a was a real wake up call for me to yes. go right from now on. I'm it's it's not. Schadenfreude, or you should, you know, you you won, get over it. It's yeah. none of that. It's like we've got to reach out, uh, especially if there's going to be a second referendum. Yeah, you're completely right. Well, talking of uh, people's vote on the opposition benches, Labour might be edging towards supporting one. Paul Mason used a Guardian column on Tuesday to come out squarely for a new referendum with Labour campaigning to remain. Mason wrote that Labour was right to promise a form of Brexit while the referendum mandate held, but once May's deal is voted down, all bets are off. And therefore, if Labour can't get a general election, it should demand a people's vote. So that it's a kind of logical explanation, I think, for his change of heart on this. Unlike some pro-Corbyn journalists, he's, a, he's an independent thinker. His views don't mm. always reflect those of the leader's office. Um, Ian, how much influence does, does Mason have in the, in, in the Corbyn sphere? I'm going to do it again. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so my, my, the impression that I get and the impression that you certainly get from talking to MPs who try to work with Labour, MPs outside of Labour, so the SNP or whatever, is that really there's just the three people. So it's just Milne, McDonnell and Corbyn. And no one really matters outside of that. And you can, you can think that you're talking to someone that's sort of in the inner circle, whether it's in the media or whether it's on the front bench yeah. or whatever. And in fact, they just find the messages aren't getting through or if they are, they're not listening. And it's just that there's a real protective shell around those three individuals. Ultimately, they're the only ones that matter. However, it would be absurd to pretend that they're not paying attention to what people are saying. I mean, of course, they pay a lot of attention to what McCluskey is saying. Um, and that is going on in a rather different direction. And they'll, of course, be paying lots of attention to where their sort of media outriders are saying the same sort of thing. So it's hard to tell. I think he's on the outer tier of Corbyn's media outriders. But, you know, it is of some consequence. It's a good, it's a good thing. It's better that it's happening than that it isn't. Well, Naomi, recent weeks I've seen a lot of voices on the left, not just Lexiters, talking down the people's vote as a doomed centrist plot 
you know, associated with the dastardly Chukramana <laughs> and so on. Do you sense any movement there, any kind of softening? I seem to have perceived some softening, or certainly the attacks from, for example, the Navara crew yes. seem to have eased slightly. And yep. this Mason thing seems part of a bigger shift. Yes, I agree. Um, and of course, one of the lessons of the 1930s is that socialists and liberals should have worked much more closely together to counter the rise mm. of um, radical conservatism. So I think it's good that they are shifting. Radical conservatism <laughs> is the <laughs> nicest yeah, possible description of it. <laughs> that I've ever heard. I think, I meant more the radical conservatism the that we've got from the Brexiteers. What should we call ourselves? Should we call ourselves the <laughs> national socialists? <laughs> Fair play, they they are radical. <laughs> anyway, Sorry. one of the one of the things that is working that we know is working is all of our data that is showing the Labour Party, the Lotto, because what they really want, remember, is a general election, and they really want to win that general election. And our data doesn't just show them that the Leave vote in Labour seats isn't particularly worth worrying about because it's really. Remain voters that are putting Labour politicians uh, into the Commons, but the, the Labour Leave vote itself is very, very tribally Labour and is never going to go anywhere else. But more importantly, that also holds very true in their target seats. So what they've got to do is grow that number of MPs in order to form a majority. Um, and uh, being pro-Remain is going to improve Labour's chances of being able to form some kind of coalition with other progressive parties because we now do seem to find ourselves in an era of coalition government. So in the event that they aren't able to form a majority government, if they fight an election on a much more pro-Remain ticket, it's going to be much easier for them to strike uh, deals uh, and be in power afterwards. So um, I think lots of people are waking up to that, whether they are uh, local um uh, campaign directors for Labour in the regions, um, people close to, to Corbyn. So yes, there, there definitely does seem to have been a softening. We know that Keir Starmer is constantly chomping at the bit to to change the, the leadership's position. Um, and, you know, now, now the Conservative Party are where they are at. The only, the only option for them now, I think, is to switch out and, and, and come out very proudly for staying in the EU. Because David, you're you're sort of pro Remain and and pro Corbyn and, and not so yes, pro Corbyn, pro Labour, pro Labour yeah. on on. Uh, yeah. I think Corbyn's a slightly more complicated issue, but yeah. on Twitter and and I'm I'm in the similar position, and it creates extreme dissonance and stress mm. and headaches. Yes. Um, do you? <laughs> f- let's just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you do you feel that there's a kind of that there is sufficient movement, maybe not coming from the top, but enough movement around the top? Um, to to make to to make the headaches go away. Yeah, not yet, but there's definitely it's going in that direction. And and Paul Mason's uh, the thing you quoted that's mm. uh, it's definitely going in that direction. And, and as the options get eliminated, um, it narrows down into um, uh, to the people's vote. Um, but yeah, but I just think there's a sort of when you've been a Eurosceptic for your whole political life, as uh, Jeremy Corbyn has been. I think it's you know how it, it just it's just not percolating in with him. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think he sort of sometimes, and I have been very supportive of Corbyn in the past, so I come from that viewpoint. But sometimes it's a bit like the um, 
the um, Holy Grail sketch where, um, uh, you know, where it's like, you stay here and guard the prince and I'll go down and do that. Okay, so, we, uh, so we'll stay here, yeah. And then the guy goes out and they come with him. He said, no, 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 stay here and guard the prince. And it feels a bit like that with um, Jeremy Corbyn sometimes. Right? So Brexit is going to be bad for the people that we want to help. Right, yeah. yes, okay, right, right. Uh, and then he goes and says something like, oh, we can't stop Brexit or he doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. and you go, no, no, Jeremy, no, no, Brexit's going to be bad. Um, yeah. It's a, it's and it's for me. It's like he 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 because he can't quite see how bad it's going to be. That's that's always going to be a drag uh, on Labour taking position. But they're running out of other positions, and that fills me with some hope. I, guess. I just don't. Get, I mean, I've been Eurosceptical my life. I can still consider myself a Eurosceptic now. Mm. I just can't see how. You, 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 whatever that is, as someone on the left that is suspicious of the European project, that looks at what these guys are doing yeah. under these criteria at this moment and goes, oh, that'll be fine. We'll just fucking kick along with that. And I'm sure it'll work out really yeah. well for liberal left-wing values. And yeah. you think, oh, no, like, fucking won't yeah. They're pointing a gun at your face. Yeah. Can you not see that? It's like, weird, yeah. It's weird when kind of like Lexit supporters are going, well, you know, the people's vote is a big risk. <laughs> And it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, unlike your strategy, you know, which requires all these sort of things to line up in order to produce socialism in one country, mm. it seems like like th- there's risks all around. And that's the thing. This, Caroline Lucas was very good in the Channel 4 debate mm. where she ended saying, this is a project of the right for the right. What the hell are Labour doing uh, not opposing it? And, you know, there's that sense of allow your enemy to make uh, all the mistakes, you know, just sit back and let your enemy make mistakes. But if the enemy is driving a van full of your family <laughs> over a cliff, then I, I feel you would intervene and not just allow them to make yeah. mistakes. Um, but that's my... James, what do you think of this? This is an argument that, you know, they've played the waiting game. Yes. Are you doing nothing? And you could argue that that has indeed worked because yes. the enemy has made lots of mistakes and that this this shows sort of great strategic wisdom. Um Obviously, they will have to do something at some point. Yes. But do you think that they have, however frustrating it's been along the way, do you think they, they have done the right thing by... It's, it's too early to say, probably, isn't it? But it, look, it looks like a good tactic today. Because uh, yesterday, of course, they declined to push the... Uh, having a vote of no confidence coming from the Labour benches be a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. And the Tories have done it to themselves. So that would have galvanised and unified the Conservative Party. It's a bit like family, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You can slag off your ranks. own family, yeah. but you, can't, you yeah. can't tolerate criticism from somebody outside the family. The problem is reality. So my theory at the moment... What it's time always is the it? problem. What, 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 what time is it? So my theory at the moment is, is that May thought reality would bite. That's why she put them in the big jobs, because she thought, very naively, as a vicar's daughter, that at some point a moral compass would demand that David Davis and Boris Johnson acknowledged that this was beyond their ken and this was nothing like what they thought was going to happen and that that was inevitable. But they didn't, of course. As soon as Chequers was written down, they ran for the hills, screaming, and, and so that they could continue to heckle from the sidelines without offering up any alternative plan. And, and that's what Labour's doing now, still. Labour is saying, so Rob stands up and says, oh, well, we will go to Brussels and we will be really tough and robust and they will give us what we mm. want. And Corbyn says, well, we will go to Brussels and we will be really kind and warm and friendly and they will give us what we want. Mm. But the thing that either of them want doesn't exist. And so that's why it's too early to say whether or not the tactic has worked in terms of big picture politics. In terms of micro politics, yeah, it clearly has because the Tories are tearing themselves to shreds. And, and Labour are just watching. Once again, this week's Romaniacs comes to you with support from the good people at beer52.com, the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. 
Beer 52 are offering a free case of craft beer to every one of our listeners, the over-18s at least, as a thank you for listening to Romaniacs. Just go to beer52.com slash remain to claim yours and discover exciting different beers that might turn out to be your new favourite. All you pay for is the postage. Beer 52 are craft beer obsessives with great contacts in the world of innovative up-and-coming brewers. Every month they bring their members new and exclusive selections like this month's West Country Road Trip Box with carefully selected beers from the Bristol area. I'm going to try a few now. Um, well, this is good. I mean, I've got a cold and about 12 hours of work coming up. So I think drinking this beer is going to be the most fantastic idea I could yeah. have possibly had at this point. I'm having an Ellensburg Session IPA, uh, which is only 4.3% alcohol, which is good for me, seeing as I've got to go back and put a bit of graft in at the office to try and stop Brexit. Very nice. I'm having more Union Hop. It's very, very pleasant. It's very good. I have Ohm Sweet Ohm. It's very clever. I see what they've done Which there. is uh, Clementine's Grapefruit and Melon. <laughs> Yowza. <laughs> Get your first case of eight inspiring craft beers for free. You just pay five ninety five for next day shipping. There's no minimum commitment. You can just take the free case if you want, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Like Article 50. Go to beer52.com <laughs> slash remain to claim yours. That's beer52.com slash remain. Full terms at beer52.com slash terms. Finally, it's the first of our end-of-year specials, and what a great year it's been. Who wouldn't want to look back on it? I wish I could travel back in a hot tub time machine and relive every tasty moment. We've asked David and James to think of their best and worst Brexit moments of the year and something to look forward to for 2019. Uh, let's try and be optimistic and start with the best moments. David Schneider, what is your Brexit highlight? Yeah, it was really, really hard to think of anything good. Um, <laughs> uh, this is partially my personality, but also Brexit. Uh, I am, um, for me, the bit where I went, yes, yes, uh, was Keir Starmer's speech at the Labour conference, where mm. uh, he mm. threw us a crumb uh, of um, that they, that's, uh, Remain might be on the ballot. <laughs> when you think that that's, that became like, oh, this is so fantastic. But because John McDonnell the previous day had sort of implied that there's no reason why Remain would be on the ballot, and you could just see Keir going... Dare I improvise? Mm. Dare I say it? Mm. I've said it. And then there was a sort of just the, the, that sense of, even though I was watching at home, that sense of uh, excitement in the crowd. Um, and so that was a, for me, because I am a Labour person um, historically, and that's, it's just so important to me that Labour gets on board. Um, that was, that was uh, one moment where I thought, yes, yes. And all the other moments I thought, yes such as uh, um, Greaves' amendment the other day uh, where, you know, so suddenly no deal is not going to happen, but that's not so clear now. Mm. Um, mm. So or, so many times I thought, yes, step aside, going to dance a jig. I thought, oh, no, I've pulled a hamstring. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> that is, so that's the best I can do for a best moment. But one of my highlights was um, the film that you produced and our own Ingrid Oliver directed uh, for the Best of Written campaign, oh, God bless where you, you uh, ended up having people throwing dog shit at each other as a no way a metaphor for Brexit. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I suppose, that is paradoxically a great thing. A Brexit dividend is so much good humour and satire has come out. I mean, I'd far rather we weren't Brexiting. And it's that thing that Peter Cook always said about there was so much great satire in the in Germany in the 30s. Mm. It was, you'd rather not have the great satire. But... That is, there's so so many great funnies coming out on Twitter and what. But that's why I say about you know I've written a lot about protest songs and you know now I go well you know what if you the protest songs are back because everything's awful mm-hmm. and that period when I was just like where are all the protest songs it's because things weren't bad enough yeah so it's sort better of better like, to have things being good though isn't it 
It's better to have life being good for the majority of people. Yeah, and then a few than singers. And then a few singers. <laughs> really shit time. But I think protest songs are your, are your kind of console, your consolation. It's just like you're in the fucking, you know, the guts of Thatcherism. And someone's going, well, you know, on the world, everything's burning. But the special single's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember saying when we had the financial crisis in 2007, well, maybe at least we'll get some decent music now. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well... Now look why that's left. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll try to find distill the essence of, of, of dull politics, nostalgic for the days when none of this felt kind of life shattering. And I, I think the Cones hotline. I was going to say. Were you going to say yeah, the Cones hotline? Yeah, hotline. I, I think when John Major decided that his top priority as prime minister would be to reduce the number of traffic cones Amazing. on a motorway. I want to go back to those days. Well, there I was wanna... that difficult tweet that George Osborne tweeted oh. when someone talked about the, the word omnishambles was used about his pasty tax yes. in whatever, 2012. Oh, yeah. And he said, made some joke about, um, yeah. oh, well, it's inflation. And, you know, because now omnishambles, I yeah. mean, the pasty tax, that's so Those minor. were the days. Um, but, yeah, the, but obviously the fact that it's George Osborne just having a laugh. I, I responded. <laughs> I think it, 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 I was at my most sanctimonious responding to that tweet. I think I, I quote tweeted it and put, you did this to our country. It's yes. not funny. Yes. <laughs> Dare you, sir? <laughs> not, so, not one of my best. I can see you in Jane Austen. I was, in Christ, I was genuinely clutching my pearls. Yeah. I was outraged. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, James O'Brien, what's mm. your favourite Brexit moment of the year? Well, do you know, David has kind of explained my thinking when he talks about the the the, 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 the voice coming immediately after you get positive about something. The voice kicks in saying, yeah, hang on a minute. Uh, yeah. Greaves Amendment, even Starmer's speech. I think that, that good and bad are completely interchangeable in your question. <laughs> so my only thing is the stuff that makes me laugh, well, I'm going to say good, and the stuff that makes me cry, I'm going to say bad. So the good bits, you're spoiled for choice, is when they have revealed themselves to be at least as stupid as you thought they were. So Andrew Bridgen thinking that being English qualified him for an Irish passport, <laughs> still being interviewed on telly today uh, because of his expert, expert, expert insights. Uh, again, as we mentioned, Dominic Raab, having accepted the job as Secretary of State for leaving the European Union, realising that Dover to Calais is an important crossing. Nadine Dorries taking to WhatsApp to ask her colleagues to explain the customs union and what it actually is because she keeps losing arguments about why we should definitely leave it. And, and, um, and bemoaning the fact that we won't have MEPs once we're out of Europe. Yeah, yeah or, or or, or we won't have any say at all in what goes on there. We won't get to choose commissioners. We won't, I mean, it's outrageous. It's just disgusting, these bloody Europeans. Um, and and I, could, I could and often do go on, but those would all be... The closest I get to good is laughing at their, their, their absurdity. Yeah. Yeah. And then crying. Um, and, 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 the, and the worst... So is, is this your worst moment no, they're as well? The, they're the good bits. Right, so, okay. so they're the bits that make me laugh. So what's the worst? That was the call that David referred to when this gentleman who I've crossed swords with before, don't you know, on the wireless, and, and he's a good egg, and you can cross swords with Brexiters. It's only when they start screaming at you that it gets difficult. And he just started crying straight in, and he didn't know he was going to do that when he rang in, and he, he was very personalised. So he, he said, I owe you an apology. And because and, I do sometimes feel a bit like Jeff Boycott at the innings with all these people lobbing balls at me. But, but, the, um, but, the, but the, 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 the sheer desolation in his moment of realization broke my heart. It really did. And it, and it, it, it was, I've checked up on him since he's okay, but it was a, it was a profoundly heartbreaking. And what, what had brought moment. him to this turnaround? It was after the, with, They'd come back with the withdrawal agreement, I think, and 
I think his realization was that it could not have shaken down any differently. For for me, it's when the red lines meet the Good Friday Agreement with the with the triangulation of the indivisibility of the four freedoms and our weaponization of freedom of movement. So once those four points are on the table, it couldn't have shaken down any differently at all. And and I, I think we explain that and explain that and explain that. But as David has pointed out, people choose to believe that it's not true. They can never argue with you evidentially, but they choose to believe that it's not true. And what Bill in Exmouth demonstrated was how hard it's going to be for a lot of people when they reach the point that believing isn't working anymore. We had this wonderful episode a couple of months ago with um, some representatives from a group called Remainer Now, mm. so people who voted leave um, and, uh, and and now know that that was a mistake. And mm. it's really powerful. And go back and listen to it if you haven't. I will. They, they talk about their guilt. And for some of them, it's happened more recently. For others, it, it happened almost instantaneously. And that, that guilt that they feel towards the people who are going to be affected by it. So, you know, one of them said, I, I, I feel like I can't even look my European friends who live here in the eye anymore. I yeah. am so ashamed that that I believe, I genuinely believed it was money for the NHS. I've got children that are heavily reliant on the NHS because of conditions that they suffer from um, and and that I'm failing them and I'm failing the people who care for them. And it's, it's, it's really moving. But personal um, responsibility... Yes, I mean, as traditionally like this sort of conservative value, but I don't really mean it like that, but just sort of recognising the consequences of your choices and perhaps feeling things like sort of guilt and shame and regret. I mean, that, that's such a contrast mm. to so much of politics mm. where there is not, it's just, just you just keep on. You Hide just keep on. You, yeah, you keep on charge, you double down, you lie, you bury things. And I think there is something really touching and someone going, I wish I hadn't. Mm-hmm. done that because I realise it has consequences. It's so funny, you know, because like such a core part of liberalism is the, the acceptance of doubt. Like liberalism starts at the scientific revolution. It starts when people go, fucking maybe all that religious stuff isn't quite so certain. <laughs> we might need some experiments and some hypotheses. Some experts. To do this. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Even if you want to go fully crazy, <laughs> you might need an expert. And that flows through. The idea behind free speech is ideas bash together until you find one that is superior to the others. And that's all based on doubt. But so much of our culture now, our political media culture, is based on weaponizing people with total certainty. Yes. So you get two pundits, and it's just like, those guys can never go, can never show any doubt at all. But there's the, you know, Jordan Peterson, who is obviously not someone that many of us would like around this table, and I don't have any particular sympathy for. There was an interview with him, was put out the other day, and, and this guy sort of raises a series of questions. And at the end of it, to his full credit, Peterson was just like, Oh, no, I see your point. I think I might be wrong. Yes, I saw and, that. And, it was just like, and of course, this was presented on Twitter as like, look at him get destroyed. Look at him get owned. And it was like, no, yeah, why, yeah, why don't yeah. you just not say that? And why don't you actually just, I can disagree with the rest of what he's saying, but at least he's demonstrating there that it's sort of crucial to the way that we do politics in a free society. David, what's your uh, low light? Well, it's, yeah, it's a sort of running low light throughout. <laughs> it's, it's a constant <laughs> hum of lowness. <laughs> <laughs> In a, in a field of hums of lowness, um, I, I suppose when I, the thing that fills me with so much shame already is how the uh, EU citizens in this country and the Brits in the EU have been treated. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's, I mean, it makes me emotional. Some of my friends are EU citizens. Uh, they've given so much to this country. I mean, all, we all know those those arguments, but that they have been abandoned, and that's my biggest beef with Labour, yeah. that that's, they might as well make mugs with um, let's control immigration on it like was so hmm. criticised under Miliband yeah. because they don't dare 
say, actually, free movement has been a benefit. Immigration is a benefit. They don't dare do it. They're, they're scared. And I feel that all these people who've contributed, three and a half million people who've contributed, have been um, abandoned. And I feel that's shameful. And I've, I, I think that, that there's the sort of the chances of us having Theresa May, who I think is not a, a Brexiter and she's not a Remainer. The only thing she is, is opposing immigration. Yeah. Uh, I think she does, that's why she was lukewarm it, as a Remainer. She's, she's gone with Brexit because she can oppose free movement. And that's the terrible thing that's happened. You know, what are the chances um, that we've got someone driving this yeah. country whose only motivation, whose main motivation, shall, we, shall I say, is to um, clamp down on uh, immigration. And we don't have uh, uh, anyone from the Labour Party or uh, who's doing what the SNP are doing and saying this is good for our country. We welcome you. We embrace you. You've made a great difference. And that, to me, is the worst thing that's happened yeah, um, right. this in the last two and a half years. Damn right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People have been feeling very sorry for her today. And even I've heard, you know, Remainers saying, oh, well, I know I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. And then I just think a hostile environment and think, yeah, yeah. actually, fuck yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. The, Vans, yeah, yeah, the, Vans, yeah. the earliest indication, almost days after the vote came in, when I was taking calls from Europeans who, who live here and people were already saying to them to just to enforce everything that you've both just said, they were all, oh, no, I didn't mean you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't mean you. And, you know, there's an Italian yeah. girl in my daughter's primary school class who, who, who started crying and they were, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she just hadn't had a proper conversation about it, but she thought she was going to have to leave. So mm-hmm. My daughter had a friend at school as well, really? literally the day after yeah. she was crying because she right. thought she had to go. And yeah. But that's why that, so, so the real, as a, as a, someone so who's right. always supported Labour, the real worst moments is when Jeremy has um, so, said stuff, uh, yeah, or said stuff about um, immigration policies, which, okay, I, you know, this postal workers thing or whatever it was, the, I don't mm-hmm. quite know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, nailed so, that anyway. So, yeah, exactly. which, which they, they really sorted, yeah. yeah. But so that, that he he might focus on, on, on that, but he never, to my knowledge, and, and I could well be wrong, has made the case for freedom of movement even in the article he wrote in the guardian recently um was um we should be allowed to have managed migration that is in our economic interest which i just thought what's the difference between this and Theresa May? i just want people to stand up i i I was uh i did an after dinner at the cbi conference in uh, ely cathedral scab Uh, yeah which was the worst the worst thing so I didn't often I thought oh this is CBI how's this happened um and and the uh, I can't remember if it was the CBI president or, mm. or vice president but he he pointed to a stained glass window and he said there's it was some Dutch guy who came over a few centuries ago drained the fens so that we could have the agricultural oh, bonanza that the fens and he and he just and there he was in the stained glass window at uh, uh, Ely Cathedral um, and he just said this is what immigration has done for our country this is what immigration oh. has done for this area and I said to him afterwards why why am I not hearing that it was really Damn inspiring. Right. And Damn really, right. to- so inspiring because no one is saying it. Also, oddly, to stay in that era and that area, just up the road in Norwich, under under Edward the Sixth, when when they started doing the enclosing and put, kicking all the peasants off the land, which is very easy to imagine, the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg being all in favour of, they weren't allowed to sell their wool to Holland because we even had trading agreements <laughs> then. Yeah. You believe it? Yeah. So it's even, breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> quite an ignorant nation, aren't we? <laughs> well, we're we're going to try and finish the show on a high. Struggle. How much beer have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Put our fists in the air like Judd Nelson at the end of the Breakfast Club. 
as we think about what we're hoping for uh, for next year, Sem- semi-realistic. Uh, David, let's start with you. What are you hoping for, apart from, obviously, I suppose, you know, a, a stronger message, a more pro-immigration message? Yeah, well, I mean, you've mentioned hot tub time machine, but anything that can turn back time, uh, the Doctor Strange, you'll know whatever the thing is that he's got, that would be useful. Um, uh, Agamemnon, Agamemnon. Yeah. I think I've said that right. Yeah, the yeah, I of Agamotto. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Agamotto. Agamotto. My nerd credentials are in the fucking <laughs> dust. <laughs> You've been set. I set you up there. Um, but yeah, Amazing. so apart from, I, I mean, I, you know, I am boring. I just want Labour to come out clearly and make the argument for Remain and for um, and for that immigration is is good has been good for this country. Um, it's not not impossible that they'll come out for Remain. So I, you know, that hopefully that'll stay within the bounds of possibility. And yeah. I'd love a general election that a Remain-backed Labour um, would would do well in. James? Oh. Uh, <laughs> come on. on he wants keep, us to finish keep, on a high. Keep hope alive, man. Take your head off your desk. <laughs> well, the, all the stuff I want is, impo- is is unlikely to... Oh, that's what it feels like to be a Brexiter. <laughs> all the stuff I want is impossible. <laughs> uh, difference being, I acknowledge, that, I, I acknowledge that it's impossible. I would really like a change of leader in the Labour Party, a 20-point gap to open up, a general election to be fought, Brexit to be called off, and either Tom Watson or possibly a vet cooper or some an other to to, to be you installed in time machine to, to be inst- i know i know i know i know i know i know fa- fa- failing that I, I i just um i think i feel more optimistic now about it not happening than i have done at any point since the vote happened mm-hmm. that's got to be a positive mm-hmm. yeah. that is yeah well in and amy doing their best and worst in a special show over the christmas period special 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 <laughs> very special <laughs> what special means is we've already recorded it and it happens later it's the miracle of time, <laughs> time. And that's the end of the show. Uh, we have no room for Brexit time capsule. We'll bring it back soon, uh, replacing it with Brexit time machine. But here's our closing language clip. It's from Victoria Blazeska in Macedonia, whose best friend is British and introduced her to the show. She says, while Macedonia is not in the EU yet, this message is an answer to all the leave propaganda that promotes xenophobia. Сакам да ве подсетам да не се плашите од македонците, бидејќи ние само сакаме да останете во Европската унија за еден ден заедно да трчаме низ полињата со жито. It means I want to remind you not to be scared of Macedonians because we only want you to stay in the EU so one day we can run through the fields of wheat together. Macedonians are laughing at us. <laughs> Thank you, Victoria. Send us your European sound clips at info at romaniacs.com. Keep them shortish and we'll use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Thanks to James O'Brien. Is there perhaps a book you could recommend as a Christmas present for listeners? <laughs> I think How to Be Right in a World Gone Wrong will fix most of your needs. And the author of... I can't remember his name. That dickhead on the radio. Okay. Always, he's all over your Facebook with his head in his hands. <laughs> Look him up. And thanks to David Schneider. Uh, what have you got coming up next year? Uh, I'm going to be recommending How to Be Right by James O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I've got a sort of uh, nice little film project that's bubbling under this. It's going to make a difference. It's going to really bring down all the people you want brought down. Yeah. So I think, yes. Yeah, I, so. David Schneider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a hideous film. <laughs> actually, quite dull. actually quite dull. The highlight would be a Romaniacs podcast every six months. <laughs> Thanks to Ian and Amy. It's your last show of the year, possibly. But who knows what sort of emergency mm. podcasts the uh, government might throw at us and thanks to producer Elsie Bath too here's our theme tune Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop while we read the nice list of some of our latest Patreon backers 
Uh, hello and Merry Christmas from me to Simon Whale. Simon, very generous. Thank you very much. Uh, William, probably Prince William or the Metropolitan Elite. <laughs> Arguably William of Orange, maybe. Jonathan Barnes, Gordon Wilkie, Gary Cody, Edward Corley and James. Thanks, Just James. James. Just, yeah. Yeah. Not this James. <laughs> Not no, the, yeah, this, was it the band? <laughs> <laughs> and happy winter solstice from me to Shane A. Williams, Judith Hughes, Roger Howie, Mairead Rooney, Jenny Cooper, Adam Beardwood and Lee Spencer. Finally, thanks for me to Joanna Davis, Hammond, not the organ, Ian Moore, Sarah Marie Finney, Tom Townsend, Daniel German, a special shout out to David Trott for sending us a few quid for a Christmas drink, and John Craven. We are John Craven's news round. <laughs> Many thanks. We'll see you next week. Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Naomi Smith and Ian Dunt. Audio production was by me, Elsie Bath. The producer is Andrew Harrison. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. Thank you.